Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me is my co-host who taught me garlic keeps the ghosts away, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? I could see why you would think that I am Larry Brenner, but actually, I'm the gardener, miss, and I have some tomatoes here which I'd like to share with you. Uh, oh. They're, they're quite ripe and delicious. That's wonderful. <laughs> Maybe we can sell them and pay the taxes. That would we be great. must pay those taxes. <laughs> yes. Andy, yeah, I have a surprise. I I'm not actually the gardener. It was me all what? along. Oh, my goodness. That's so wild. I kind of knew it, though. Oh, OK. So, so it works out. What movie are we doing today, Larry? We're doing Candle Shoe from 1977. Uh, and we have a guest star today. We have Andrea Nasvel. Andrea Nasvel is a feature writer with over a dozen produced credits, including the television Christmas movie Every Other Holiday from Lifetime and Holiday for Heroes from Hallmark Movies and Mysteries. She's also the writer of The Resurrection of Gavin Stone from Blumhouse and Mom's Night Out, Sony Affirm. Uh, Mom's Night Out won a Dove Award for Inspirational Film of the Year. Andrea is a member of the WGA, and that's particularly important these days. Uh, And she teaches screenwriting at USC. Andrea, welcome. Welcome back, I should say. Yes, I'm so happy to be back. (laughs) I am so glad that you picked this movie. I'd never seen Candle Shoe. It is delightful. It was one of my favorites as a kid. I, um, I can see why. I am a sucker for any tr- kind of treasure hunt movie, treasure hunt kids. It, that's the that just lit my imagination as a kid, and so I I wanted to go here. I wanted to help them find the treasure. I watched this movie so many. I, I think it came on Disney Channel in the early days of Disney Channel, and that's why I was able to watch it so much. Oh, right oh for sure. I also yeah. just so just so you know, I also liked it. Um, so <laughs> people, what? I know. I know. <laughs> what? I was I was worried that I wouldn't. I was worried that I wouldn't. But I'm going to throw something out here because I think I'm going to come back to it. Candleshoe is a million times better than The Princess Diaries. It is everything <laughs> The Princess Diaries should be, but is mm. not. I'm, I'm, yep. I'm going on record for this. And I, I think we will prove this thesis as we get through this episode. Well, fair enough. Let's get through some key facts to get this show on the road. Um, Candleshoe is based on a children's book, Christmas at Candleshoe, written by English mystery writer Michael Ennis. But this movie is not a Christmas movie. L.A. Times film critic Charles Champlin gushed about this film as a triumph of plot making, uh, giving a lot of credit to David Swift and Rosemary Ann Sisson for adapting this book. Uh, Candleshoe was filmed mostly in England at Compton Wynyates in Warwickshire in central England, which is beautiful country. I just got back from there uh, not too many weeks ago. So it's kind of neat. If I'd known that, I might have looked this place up. Or found Uh, the treasure. Or found the treasure. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I'm always always late to the party. Uh, So so in 1977, when this movie's made, Jodie Foster was not an unknown commodity. She had a number of acting credits for Disney, including a made-for-TV movie called Menace on the Mountain, which I'd never heard of, 
till they did this research. And her first feature, Napoleon and Samantha, that she made with Johnny Whitaker in 1972. And she had also been in a number of really great classic films, cutting her teeth alongside some veteran actors, a lot like the ones in Candleshoe. Uh, movies like Kansas City Bomber, One Little Indian, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, it's a favorite of mine, uh, Taxi Driver, Bugsy Malone, and The Girl, Little Girl Who Lives Down the Lane. So this podcast has already investigated uh, Jodie Foster's performance in Freaky Friday. Oh, have we? <laughs> <laughs> but she is a bit of enigma, an enigma. She's not your typical, what I would think of as a child actor. She's doing really deep roles with some complex characters for the most part, Freaky Friday maybe and excluded. And I think those roles really inform what I think is a pretty sophisticated performance here in Candleshoe. I'm, I'm going to come to Jodie De Foster's defense here. The issues in Freaky Friday have nothing to do with her performance. Oh, fair enough. Everything to do with everything else in that movie. <laughs> but it is not Jodie Foster's fault. She's yeah, given okay, what she can enough. give. Yeah, she is. She's She makes that movie what it is. Um, so Helen Hayes was one of the greatest leading, leading ladies of the 20th century. This is her final on-screen film role. She does another movie where she's a narrator. Uh, but she was on the silver screen for 77 years. And we've talked about Helen Hayes before when we talked about Herbie, Herbie Rides Again. But she earned the EGOT, the Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. Wow. I think she's one of the first women to do it, too. Yeah, yeah. She was, she's... She's amazing and mm -hmm. never stops. And of course, she's David, or sorry, she is James MacArthur's stepmother. So remember James MacArthur from a lot of Disney movies as well. So uh, David Niven, of course, uh, won an Academy Award in 1958 and didn't do a whole lot through the 60s. But in the last decade of his life, he has really a remarkable run of movies. Um, and while some critics talk about Candleshoe as sort of a stock Disney crowd pleaser and somewhat formulaic, everyone notes the acting from Niven and Hayes and Jodie Foster really elevates this film to a different space. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, solid performances throughout this. Uh, but I actually take, I take issue with the idea that this is stock and formulaic. Uh, there are things hmm. that I expected to have ha have happened in this movie that did not happen, partic particularly at the end. Uh, I, I felt like I was kept guessing throughout it. I yeah, yeah, I I agree. I think the ending is part of one of the strengths of this film. We'll get into that a little later, I'm sure. So on Easter weekend, 1977, Disney released Candleshoe for what they thought would be a one week run in order to qualify it for the Academy Awards because of the caliber of actors they have in this piece. This movie runs until it, well into 1978. Oh, so it wow. has a very, very ridiculously popular. Um, and I could not find any box office stats on it, but it runs for a very long time. Uh, in the daily newspaper comic strip, Walt Disney's Treasury of Classic Tales, if you remember that, if you're as old as I am, you might remember that. They ran a whole series based on Candleshoe at the end of 1977. If you can find it, you should. It's pretty great. 
Wow. That's when when young Andy Redwine was learning to read. So I remember that. Yeah. Just it's funny. I remembered that, but I did not remember the movie at all. So I must have just gotten most of the story from that comic strip. What was it about? It's it's Candleshoe. They just run it as a comic serial, like daily oh, in the daily newspaper. Yeah. Kind of like Prince Valiant or yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. All right. So that's what I got, folks. Fair enough. Let's get into plot. And we begin uh, with the Manish Tana. Uh, with the Manish Tana, we ask why the movie starts, where it starts, why the choices mean to begin where we begin. And I'm going to say this Manish Tana, I think, tells us a lot or rather shows us a lot without telling us. What we see in this opening, in these opening few minutes of Candleshoe is there is a girl who's hanging out with a gang on the streets of Los Angeles. And when I say gang, I don't, don't think jets and sharks think more like, like the little rascals, Uh, but like, a step above the little rascals, two steps below the jet, uh, the j- sharks and the jets. They're they're troublemakers, but they're not you know they're not organized crime. I think that's I think that's a fair way of talking about it. We see them go to a basketball game. Uh, they they you know pretty much scam like steal the uh, basketball. They they pretend to be playing, but they make away with the basketball. We get an elaborate chase scene through the streets of Los Angeles. There are hijinks. Uh, Oil is pilled. People slip and fall. Uh, And then uh, towards the end of it, after they've done all of these hijinks, uh, the young blonde girl, whose name we don't know yet, who's done all this stuff and stolen the basketball, takes the basketball and throws it into the garbage. And that is how we open on Candle Show. And I'm wondering, uh, Andrea and Andy, why do we begin our movie in this way? I also want to point out the credits are running over this stuff. Um, But I almost don't care about that because a lot of movies at that time have credits and all they're showing you is grass blowing in the wind. Uh, (laughs) Why, why, why does this movie begin the way that it begins? And, and is it a good beginning? I think it is. I, it introduces us to the world of, of Casey without having to explain a whole lot about her. We understand um, her attitude. The, the whole thing where she throws the basketball in the trash is so, you know, they went to such elaborate lengths to steal that thing, to run away with it, and then to see that it doesn't really mean anything to her. It's just like she's just there for the trouble of it all um, and kind of watching them you know, run through her ordinary world. We see you know, what her quote, friends are like, what her um, relationships are. And that's going to all, I think, contrast later when we meet the other children um, on grandmother's estate. I was watching this with with my youngest. And my youngest turned to me and he's like, why did she throw out the basketball? Like he didn't Mm -hmm. get it. And I said, buddy, she took it because she could take it. She didn't want it. She did it because she could. And he was like, oh, so is she the bad guy of this? Which is a great question to Mm -hmm. be asking at the start of the movie, right? Uh, This is not a perfect Disney princess character who is all virtue, no vice. She's not Pollyanna, although I love Pollyanna. Uh, Mm -hmm. But 
But yeah, I I thought it was a really engaging opening. Well, when she's a street kid who's not exactly nice and she throws her banana peel in the post office box, which is my <laughs> favorite part of that. Um, I think it sets up, here's a kid who uh, is streetwise and does mischiefy things. So yeah, getting her involved in some sort of heist wouldn't be too big of a reach. I love that moment because she looks and she sees a completely empty wastebasket, equidistant, uh, maybe even a little bit closer than the post, the mailbox. And she still mm-hmm. chooses to do the mailbox. And I, I, I think you're right. Uh, one of, one of the things that I also thought is she's got a problem with authority. She doesn't want yeah. anyone having power over her. Nobody tells her what to do. And by yeah. the way, folks, we have not heard one word of dialogue. Not one. We're This is all visual, which is fantastic. And it's exactly what we want, I think, in a good Manishana. And you compare that to, say, Freaky Friday, where we like watch her like get up, get out of bed, and the whole time there's voiceover going like, Mom and I haven't been getting along lately. And 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 all of that stuff. You don't need any of that in a movie. That's right. Just That's right. show. Just show. And and I a pl- I go I go A plus Manish Tana for the movie on this one. It it's a, a strong opening. I'm gonna try to get us the plot I don't think is terribly complicated. Uh there are details that I think are interesting. Uh, which which maybe we'll cover as we go through. But the plot is fairly straightforward. As it turns out, this young girl, uh, Casey Brown, happens to look exactly like this long-lost uh, noblewoman's granddaughter. She even has scars in the right places. And a con man, uh, Harry Bundage, comes to her and offers to, to you know, not necessarily offers. I mean, pretty much kind of sort of abducts her. It's, it's, um, it's, it's not quite a kidnapping, but like, I don't know if in a court of law, it wouldn't be a kidnapping that there's some, I have to say watching this as an adult. Yeah. With the context of like child trafficking and yeah. all that in the world. Mm-hmm. I was like, Ooh, I don't remember that. I was I don't remember it being quite like this. Like like you'd have to pause the movie and say, "Now if a, a man from another country comes and wants to take you to a hotel and make you put on a dress, run." Yeah, <laughs> like, right. Because she's so feisty and street smart, somehow we feel like she's going to be okay <laughs> in this situation, but as a child it didn't even occur to me. Like I it, it gets right to the heist of it all and so, you know, then I was like, okay, she's she's on her own footing. But as an adult, I I had pause watching it again. I had the same oh. thing. Well, yeah, and her foster parents are the ones that kind of sell her too. I mean, she's I'm sold. Like, oh, yeah, goodness. I mean, there's there's that. Yeah. So so that is all super super creepy to a modern audience. But I have to imagine if I'm watching this in 1977, it's not raising any flags for me. Uh, not that that stuff wasn't happening or it was a better time. It's just generally speaking, the public was unaware of all the terrible things that were happening. Uh, True. We're, we're, we're a little more keyed into it now. Um, mm-hmm. 
okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna move us away from this. I'm gonna ask the question: Where do you think this movie reaches its inciting incident? The inciting incident, we generally say, this is where the movie gets launched. Uh, it's what starts us off on our journey. Uh, is there anything here that happens where you go like, hey, now we're in a movie? Before we were getting exposition, now we're in a movie. Well, I think it's the classic call to adventure, you know, that invitation. Would you like to, would you like to join me on a heist where we're going to find a treasure list that, um, obviously meeting Harry Bundage could be it, but I think when they sit down and, and she, he realizes how street smart she is and that he can kind of, he doesn't have to trick her into doing this. Like they can, well, Casey insists that they become partners, um, there's that invitation to go on the journey, to go on the adventure. So it seems like a very classic call to adventure to me. I agree. And and I think it's really fun to see that reversal. Bundage thinks that he's got kind of one over on her. And it's very clear that very quickly she's she's in charge and, not, and getting a Ferrari out of the deal. Yeah, right? So, right, right. She sees through the act. Um, like at first he's offended when she's like, you're a con artist, right? And he's like, how dare you? And she's like, okay, but like, that's what a con artist would say when they're confronted with the fact that they're a con artist. It's okay. <laughs> I'm a con artist too. It's cool. And then there is some, uh, there is some not quite equality in their relationship, but more equality in their relationship than there was before. And I think you're also, I think you're also right, Andrea. If she doesn't say yes to going on this con slash treasure hunt, there's no movie. Uh, she gets left behind in Los Angeles and and the story kind of peters out uh, and and we all check our watches and go, is a 20 minute movie a thing? She has to say yes. That's good. Mm-hmm. What's going to propel her? The other thing that points to this being the inciting incident is I often talk about inciting incidents coinciding with traveling from one world to another. We've been in L.A. this whole time. Now we're going to Candleshoe where the rules of that world are different. We were in the city and now we're in the country, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've, we've traveled quite some distance. She is now the fish out of water, the person who's going to be our eyes and ears in this new world. Something else that I want to point out is that there's a lot of exposition in this part of it where Bundage is talking uh, about kind of setting up what's going on at Candleshoe. And then when they get to England, Clara Grimsworthy gets involved and they're doing a lot of talking. But the talking is interesting. And because it's sort of sand, it's it's split up there. There's a moment, the moment where they travel and there's kind of, oh, there's Buckingham Palace and she gives kind of a one-liner. It's not just exposition for, you know, 10 minutes. It's kind of busted up a little bit with that travel, but the travel's pretty quick. And her agree to, you know, when she agrees to go. So it's an interesting thing to do uh, because it's a heist movie. I think we do have to have a lot of exposition. And one of the things this movie does really well is we stay in Casey's point of view the entire time. Almost, even, yeah. for the B, even for the B story, I think it does a lot for this movie. Because of that, we don't like go see what's up at Candleshoe. And then, you know, we discover Candleshoe with Casey. And I think the movie uh, rewards us for that. And we're never behind Casey either. Like, like no. even when we're rooted to her, when we have a question about something, Casey asks that question. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, I I think I think you're right. The exposition is delivered at a well. There's a, quite a bit of it, and mm-hmm. and it's delivered at a clip. It's all done at the same time that they're establishing character. So it's not just exposition, but it's character work at the same time. We see conflict between Harry and Clara about who gets to tell the story and whose story this is. Right. 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 That's right. That's super fun. Harry and Clara argue over how Clara left candle show. Harry says Clara was, was fired. And Clara says, no, I resigned. And, (laughs) and, Maybe we don't know the truth of it, but you can tell what what Casey thinks. Casey agrees this woman was fired, <laughs> right? Like like we're doing yeah. work even as we're getting exposition, but it's the kind of work we should be doing. We're engaging. So I want to I want to bring bring us through the plot, getting us to the climax. The plot delivered simply is this. Casey needs to pass herself off as the granddaughter to have access to Candleshoe because at Candleshoe, there's a cl- there are a series of riddles that need to be solved to find the treasure that Harry wants and intends to split with or has said intends to split with Clara and with Casey. While she's there, she establishes relationships with uh, her grandmother with uh the uh with priory the the butler who we'll talk about and with the four children who are kind of servants but also kind of adopted found family to to the grandmother uh when would you say oh also in a subplot it becomes clear that priory the butler is pretending to be at least two other people uh, sorry, at least three other people, probably more, uh, to talk to to allow for the illusion that grandmother is still as wealthy uh, and socially uh, hierarchical, social status, high social status, although she's fallen into disarray and they may lose the the manor because they don't have any money. Uh, when does this movie reach its climax? Generally speaking, the climax is when the forces of good and evil, uh, you know, are in conflict. That's not every movie, but it might be this movie. Where do you guys? Where do you guys feel this is the climax? Well, to reach the climax, I won't. I won't say what I think just yet. But to reach the climax. Casey has some work to do in the rising action, right? She's got to learn how to attach to the good and really to develop a conscience. Right. Um, she has to look out for the common good and not just her own welfare. And so she has a decision to make just before we even get to the climaxes, which is which side are you on? Um, are, are, is, is she on the side of Bundage and Grimsworthy or is she on the side of the folks at candle shoe. Sure. I think there's an interesting um, turn in her, which is probably, probably the midpoint, although I didn't pause it to see, but um, you know, where she goes to the market and helps them sell mm-hmm. all of the produce and kind of uses her sales and even con skills to kind of um, help them raise as much money as they can for the tax money. It's like she becomes instead of 
um, on only her own agenda, finding the treasure, suddenly she is incorporated into everyone else's goal, which is saving candle shoe and raising that money. And so then she becomes a part of that team um, and starts to say, well, I'm pretending to be a part of the team, but you can see we as audiences love to see how she's really becoming a part of the family. Um, And then of course you have that terrible sort of end back to moment where that bondage comes and steals even that money that they've raised. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, like just the, the, I love that question, you know, which, whose team are you on? Are you on bondages team or are you on? This is family team? fantastic because we're going to get to what I would argue is possibly the one real flaw in this movie. Both of you are, are leading me to believe that the climax of this movie must be the moment where Casey decides, you know, I I love grandmother, I love uh, Priory, I love the other children, and I don't like Harry, so I'm going to be good and not bad. That sounds. I'm not, I'm not sure that's the cli- I'm not sure that's the climax, but I think we have to establish that before we get to the climax. Except, except Andy, that uh-huh. moment never happens in this movie. There's never a point where she decides. There are times where she acts instinctively, but the movie edits out. There's a weird cut where where Casey says to the other. So Casey's in the hospital. The money's been stolen. And they're like, do you remember who it is who stole the money? And Casey goes, I didn't see them. I didn't see the face. That's a lie. That's she knows it was Harry who stole the money. But she feels bad for them. There's a moment where she says to to the kids, come back. I actually do know something. And then we skip to her, the kids, Priory and grandmother returning to the house to have the treasure hunt. But there is no scene where Casey comes clean. And you think that's a flaw? I think that's a flaw because we don't have the scene where the truth is revealed. If the question is, is Casey going to, like, it's implied that all of that stuff happened. But if that's what's in, if this is the important moment in the movie where Casey's going to be vulnerable and honest for the first time in her life, she has not been honest with them at all. Why skip the moment? where she comes clean and suddenly is honest with them. Hmm. That's a good question. I wonder if they felt, I mean, I wonder if it was there and then they felt like it took power from the the very last scene, which is really powerful. I wondered that too. I think it's an energy issue. I I think they felt like it took the energy out of the scene. And, uh, and you know, from that point on, they're on the they're on the treasure hunt. They're they're trying to get it, and and it it is it is full steam ahead from that point. But I feel well. If you want an Oscar scene for Helen Hayes, you you're going to back off any kind of uh, sweet moment. You're going to save the sweet moment for the end. I think I'm just and not with the I'm kids. just saying that yeah. would be the climax in some movies. The decision point. It's mm-hmm. not the climax in this one. The climax right. in this one is an action climax. It's mm-hmm. Harry's at the house looking for the treasure, and we kids and senior citizens are going to band together to fight off this gang, 
and find the treasure first. It is an action climax, not an emotional climax, not a character climax. And it could be a character climax if they decided to defer Annabelle's decision to the very last moment. Uh, they don't. She's she's made that decision significantly earlier in the movie. You could see a movie in which Harry and Priory are dueling with weapons, and Annabelle's like, I should help Harry. No, I should help Priory. Which, you know, Harry starts offering her things, and Priory's like, but I love you. And in that moment, she finally makes the decision about which one. She doesn't. We're not interested in doing that here. So I would say the climax is an action climax, and it is this fight at the mansion over the treasure. I agree. I think the slick floor setup pays off. Oh pretty yeah, well oh, totally pays. It's a lot, <laughs> right? We got a lot of good slapstick. Um, the treasure's raining down, and the, it's so it's so good. I, I, I love it, it. It's it's a fun action sequence. You have to imagine this is a world without guns. Because mm -hmm. uh, the sec the second a gun would would show up, it would turn this movie into like from from being a child friendly thing into being like a horrible thriller. So it's all mm -hmm. sword fighting and frying pans and and ducking and I throw the meat in his face and and, and ham and flour right. and it yeah. Home Alone meets the Beauty and the Beast battle. Yes, oh, you know, there it is. Perfect. That's great. The furniture wasn't running around, but it could have been in this scene. Okay, so we're in agreement that that's the climax then. Yeah. Yes, but then we get some falling action. And there's something here that might also be considered a climax in the falling action, although I don't think it's the climax. It is something that I'm invested in. So good news, Candleshoe will be saved because they found the treasure. Although adult me says to himself, that treasure is a pirate's treasure that your ancestors stole. It probably, like... It probably belongs to the people who he robbed centuries ago. You need to make reparations with that money and maybe not and maybe not maintain this nobility lifestyle. Uh, but but that is certainly not a 1977 mindset. So I'll, I'll let it go. Did you guys not think that you guys are looking at me like I'm crazy? Oh, I mean, crazy is strong. Crazy other pirates, Larry. We don't yeah. know that. He, he, I, I, evil corporation. He stole it from the East India Company. This is the kind of guy who hides his treasure in the mansion because <laughs> he doesn't trust his family with it. I he's 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 a monster that money is tainted with <laughs> blood, and we're just gonna gloss over that because we're romanticizing pirates, but but not on oh, my that watch. that wacky, that you know wacky Captain Joshua. Going, I thought you were going to the Pirates of the Caribbean, like this treasure might be cursed and they shouldn't touch it or they'll turn into skeletons. And they Candle Shoe 2 at World's End. Uh, at World's End. Yes. Well, like every good capitalist though, what do they do? They they buy back all the antiques. <laughs> yes, they they maintain they, they maintain the unfair social structures. And yes, yeah. I'm sure they adopted more children from the children's home all once right. they had everything taken care of. Okay, I sustained sustained because this really is a happy ending. We're meant to feel that it's happy, but in fact, 
<laughs> I, look, I oh am happy. Goodness. I just, it, it, <laughs> I am okay. happy for okay. them. I like grandma. I like Good. grandma She's who great. made her fortune off of stolen goods uh, and inherited <laughs> that profit. And strawberries and tomatoes and eggs. Well, so. she did make her money off stolen goods because it was all hidden in the base of a statue that was in her right. house. She never knew right. it was there. So mm-hmm. she was moving uh, off and her land. Going, this stuff belongs in a museum, but that's fine. Uh, so, so <laughs> Casey, <laughs> Casey has run away again mm-hmm. to the train station to leave Candleshoe because she knows she doesn't belong there. She got there on a lie, but grandmother comes for her and brings her and convinces her home is where you're loved. Come home with us. And that's where the movie ends. Oh, she doesn't even say come home. I mean, like, it's a directive, not a not a question. It's we're going. Let's go. Yeah. She picks up her bag. Let's roll. Yeah. You know, I love that. I love that. Um it might be considered an emotional climax. I mean, she, Casey's clearly learned some compassion, right? And I think there's some shame there yeah. about what, what she's done. Uh, and, and I think she's uninterested. I think the most important part of this though, is she's uninterested in keeping the ruse going. Uh, and, and I really love the structure of having the big heart tug after the big slapstick crash. Yeah, uh, it, it really it leaves the audience with a nice, uh, tall glass of redemptive love. Right. And the best part of it is not everything is answered perfectly. Well, right. that's the I, thing I in a formulaic part of this movie. movie. In a yes. formulaic movie, the reveal would be that she was actually Grand's granddaughter the whole time with some amnesia thrown in here. <laughs> but they leave mm-hmm. it ambiguous. Casey says something along the lines of, uh, I'm sorry your granddaughter never never returned to you. And grandmother says, well, maybe she has. And it's not clear if she means that spiritually or if she means that, in fact, she's about to prove to Casey that she's actually her biological grandmother. And you know what? I don't want to know. I mm-hmm. It allows me to have it whatever way I want it in that moment. Yes. my. In fact, my kids watched it with me and they watched it when they were kids. Um, so they were having an argument about whether or not it, she was really the granddaughter. And they each had a case for why. Yep. And so then when I, I remembered that it was ambiguous. And so then we watched it and it was like, oh, you're right. Like, although she did have the right scars, she didn't have the right strawberry allergy oh, gee, or, exactly know, didn't like the rice there pudding things, exactly there were things that they um that didn't match as well as things that did and, and i i loved that ending and you could say well sometimes but, kids outgrow their their allergies but right. but sometimes they don't yeah i'm with right you. but it but in the end you know love creates family and family is home right i i think so and i love that so it's good so one of the questions that I have about this movie, and I, I brought this up to Andy pre-production. I, so, Andrea, I want to get your opinion on this. Looking at this movie, I am convinced this is an adaptation of the Anastasia story. The Russian, the Russian princess who went missing, and then a couple of con artists convince a woman to pretend to be the long-lost granddaughter of the czar. 
Right. And that, and I, you know, it's funny, I went and researched back to, to talk about it because I thought we might talk about it. And of course, the animated movie that we're all familiar with and the musical all came after this movie. Much later. And yeah. So, so then I looked back and thought, well, what did really happen? And the woman that in the real life story turned out to just be some mental patient. Like it was never, there was, this is like the taking that idea and making it happy and good. (laughs) You know, that, that whole story is like a tabloid kind of story. So I I feel like it has to be based on that setup for sure. Um, And then just taking it like, what if it went the way we really wanted it to? Uh, Yes. I agree. I I agree. But I thought that it was more direct. I thought there was more of a specific story because I knew the animation and the musical and, and then I realized, oh, before, you know, Candleshoe, they didn't have those iterations of this. But they did have other, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, Anastasia mm-hmm. movies that are not Disney based. Yes. That, yes. So there was an Ingrid Bergman. Yes. Ingrid Bergman. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm thinking that had to be an inspiration here. It, it mm-hmm. inspiration doesn't mean we're copying it uh necessarily. It just may have been a jumping off point. What if Anastasia but also a treasure hunt, right? Uh, well, and it, it raises a lot of questions for me because we have Christmas at Candleshoot, which clearly isn't about Christmas, right? Is that a heist? I couldn't find Christmas at Candleshoot, by the way. Um, but is that a heist? Is it a Christmas movie? Or did they just go, hey, we like the idea of Candleshoe. Let's just make it ours and pick things like Anastasia to draw from. Right. You all have done a few where like the dumpling gang, where the adaptation was just way off of what the actual book was. So maybe they just, who knows what they did with Christmas yeah. candles. Sure. I mean, well, let's talk. About- no, 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 no. Let's, yeah. let's go to character by all means. Okay. Let's go to characters. All right. All right. Uh, Casey Brown, Jodie Foster. I think she has a lot of great one liners. I think her timing is just excellent uh, performance wise. Uh, as a character, I think Casey is resourceful and sharp, and she doesn't make human connections. I think because she's sort of afraid of being hurt. Oh, There'll for sure. Be this, it, and it's a, it's such a layered performance. At one moment, you kind of see her going. She even leans in to to bondage, like, "Well, maybe you're all right." And then she gives him this zinger, and then he and then he leans back, right. Uh, she's not going to, if she can't control it, uh, she doesn't want any part of it. She's also smarter than he is. And he has real trouble. Like she actually figures out how that they are suspicious of her at candle show. And so she goes off script a little bit, but, and, and, and at first he's like, wait a second, you've betrayed everything that I've done. And then she winks at him. And I have to tell you, pulling off a wink in a, is not <laughs> necessarily easy. It often feels false and artificial. Not these right. winks. These winks have so much intentionality behind them. I'm like working on my winks right now. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't wink like that. Uh, and she communicates to him. What she, and what she's saying in that wink is, I haven't betrayed you. Trust mm-hmm. me, I'm going somewhere with this. And he doesn't pick up that she's playing a better con than the con he set up for her. 
Oh, mm-hmm. I just love that moment where she just she just feeds them the little information about the fireplace, the hole in the fireplace, and then and then just leaves and just knows that they're going to check and that mm-hmm. it's going to confirm their whole story without them looking desperate or like they set it up. She, it's just she's so smart. She does I love her. She does the great thing, which is to say, listen. I know you've been conned before, and I'll tell you this. Yeah. I'm conning you now. I conned Harry, and I'm conning you. I'm not your granddaughter. I just wanted to, I just wanted to see where this would take me. Sorry for your time. Uh, and when they get to the car, he's furious with her. But she says, just give it a minute. Just give it a minute. They're, the, the way that she convinces them that she's the granddaughter is by trying to by telling them she's not the granddaughter and making them decide that she is. It's brilliant. I think think writing wise too, there's a great contrast between Casey and her foster parents and Casey and priori with the kids in the kitchen, two kitchens, right? Uh, The foster parents kitchen is basically a, what have you done for me lately? You owe us, right? Right. And she's shown in the other kitchen at, at Candleshoe, she's, shown hospitality and she doesn't really know how to deal with it now i mean she kind of oh no this is fine this is enough yeah i'm jumping on the i'm gonna jump up here and sit on the table right uh she doesn't really know how to be served mm-hmm. and i think that's an interesting uh contrast i agree that uh, i just thought of <laughs> no no i i think that's really good because she's also not sure what the role is that she's supposed to play Am I the daughter mm-hmm. of of this lady uh, or am I someone who's supposed to help with the chores? Because as or am it, I a grifter, right? Right. Yeah. As it turns out, everyone in Candleshoe is is also conning each other. Uh, Priory and the kids are pulling off this elaborate deception where he is three or four other people. The manor has tons of money and there's no financial difficulty. But grandma sees through the con we find out later in the movie and has been going has been conning them into thinking she believes their con everyone oh, everyone's a double agent so fun to see it again when you watch it again yes and you realize that she knew that he was playing all those other characters and that she's just egging him on you know like firing him making him get on the horse that he's afraid of like she just the whole time you you don't suspect it at all when you watch it the first time. And then when you realize at the end, she knew all along and she knew that it was an act of love. I think that's what's mm-hmm. so beautiful about it. It's like Casey's con is an act of greed or deception, but Priory's con and the children's is it, they're conning her because they love her so much and they don't want her to know the horrible truth. Right. And so to know that she saw through the con, but knew they loved her, and so, therefore, played along. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, okay. can we just say also that the disguises <laughs> that David Niven has are just awesome? <laughs> yes, so funny. <laughs> and and another it. relationship with the Princess Diaries. It's all about eyebrows. Uh, big bushy <laughs> eyebrows. You are unrecognizable <laughs> from one person to the other. That is just a universal truth. Or you think you are right? Oh, That's yeah, great. for sure. Um, I I kind of feel like this movie is one half Anastasia, but also one half Sunset Boulevard. Uh, you know, famously oh, wow. in Sunset Boulevard, uh, Max the Butler is writing her fan mail 
every night so that she gets fan mail the next day yeah. is constantly convincing her that there's a movie that's going to be made and she's going to have a big comeback because he loves her so much that he 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 doesn't want you know you don't wake a sleepwalker right like he's he's perpetuating this illusion there's kind of a bit of that too in candle shoe although they subvert it with with having her be in on the joke we just didn't know she was in on the joke yeah Oh, this movie's so good. Okay, now you got me thinking some more. All right. Uh, so, Priori, we've talked about him. We've talked about uh, Lady Gwendolyn. Do we want to say more about Helen Hayes here? I want to say another another thing that will make this movie compared to The Princess Diaries is the one thing I liked in The Princess Diaries was the dance. I don't remember anybody's names in the Princess Diaries. I remember it was Julie Andrews and her chauffeur, and they were doing a little dance. And I liked that. But somehow, I liked this dance even more between, between Priory and Grandma. There was, it was, there have just been years of devotion between the two of them. This is the moment where they've finally been honest with each other. And they don't express romantic love to each other through their words or even through the dance. But yet somehow, you know, they love each other because because they wouldn't have done this for each other otherwise. Yeah, I think it's a beautiful it, moment. I think it's really neat, too, when when Helen Hayes, when, when Lady Gwendolyn goes to the train station to collect uh, Casey, Priory's there, but he doesn't take over. No, he lets her. He, 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 it's the first time he really hasn't been. He, he really just lets her take over and and do what she's going to do, because and, he's learned something. He's learned yeah. that all this time he thought he was managing her, she was managing him. That's right. <laughs> That's right. He thought he was pulling her strings. She's been pulling his the whole time, and that is delightful. Super subtle. Yes. Great. Great moment. Okay, Harry Bundage, uh, Leo McKern. He is a grifter of the First Order, <laughs> but he's kind of dumb and a little bumbly, and it's kind of fun to watch. He's a little violent. That was the thing that I I keyed into him. Like like he he has anger issues. Uh, like he's willing to like he's the sort of person when things are going his way. He can like smile and be like, oh, ho, ho, I'm so smart. There's the con. But the second the con starts to go wrong, he becomes really ugly, really mm-hmm. quickly. He is not gracious in temporary defeat. Uh, I loathed him. I wanted to like him because when he's charming, he's charming. But when the when the mask slips, I see him and I think he's a monster. That moment when the power's out in the house and he just is taking the tax money. Like, I, th- I think that all along you're, you kind of think, oh, he's such a comical, you know, home alone type mm-hmm. of villain, right? And then at that moment, you just, you know, they're driving the car and you've got this girl like hanging on to the edge of a, you know, driving car. And um, it, you just realize at that moment how dark he really is. Like, he, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't just a funny, bumbling game to him. She will pay the price and he will get what he wants. What do we think about Clara Grimsworthy? Really good performance, I thought. Yeah. I thought she was interesting. I love how she keeps falling into the same, you know, the same soot coming down in the same <laughs> when she's getting her comeuppance, right? It's like, 
You're getting what's coming to you. It's fantastic. I think not just once, not just twice, but three times. Fantastic. I think it's interesting that they recognize her as the maid they fired for stealing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I, I wonder what it was like when she was living in that house, right? I, I, I'm like, I'm like curious about it because the con must have been going on with like, you know, the the butler. Uh, pretending to be all of these other people, pretending to be the colonel and what have you. I kept waiting for her to use that as the trump card, where she suddenly Mm. says, actually, you know, there is no Gardner, and there is no Colonel Smith, and there is none of Mm. that. It's all, like, I I thought that was going to be her big reveal to try to break Grandma's heart in, like, a moment. Um, And I don't know. I don't know. I what do you think? Would would that have made the movie better, given her a little something more to do? I think she's fantastic in this. Don't get me wrong. Uh I I was just waiting for that reveal. That's interesting. I never thought of it. I, I think I assumed that maybe they started all of that after she left, after they started firing more staff, you know. But we don't know. Yeah. I, it, it seems that good though. It seems like it's a long-term con and it seems like she was just fired, which is what's presented the opportunity. Uh, mm. I'm, I'm just not sure. Uh, do you, I also think she and Harry are going to betray each other. Uh, they are not as united as they pretend to be. Uh, and if she doesn't, I'm not even sure they're cousins. I, I think they might not even be cousins, even though that's what they tell her. I, for mm-hmm. sure. Nothing they say can be trusted <laughs> yeah. and not even to yeah. each other. I agree. So. All right. Uh, Clooney, Peter, Anna, Bobby, I'm putting them all together. Um, I, I like them, these kids, because they're, they all pull their weight out of love. And I love how there's this initial resentment uh, toward Casey that transitions into it's most, allyship. It's mostly I guess, Clooney with, though. Like, Clooney yeah, of all yeah. of them is the most important of the four. She is the one who wants to, who who is trying to get Casey to behave and do things the way that they're supposed to be done. And in fairness to Casey, no one has given her an orientation about the true state of Candleshoe. And you would think right. Priory would have done it. Uh, but I mean, she and Clooney get into a fight. Uh, I think Clooney is... Uh, of the four of these children, the most important because she actually, the other three are are willing to just do whatever it is that Casey says to do. But Clooney is the one who's always on to her. Clooney is the one who says, you're saying you didn't see his face, but come on, you saw his face, right? And the mm-hmm. others are the ones to let it go. I don't know if you need all three of the others for this movie to work. I'm not I'm not I'm not saying which ones you keep and which ones you ax. Uh but story function wise, Clooney's got one and the the other three could be one character who's just the one who accepts her as she is. I do like that there's multiple just because it shows the generosity of the grandmother, you know, bringing multiple children into her house and um you know, it wasn't just one child or two children. I mean, it's four kids. That's a lot for an older mm-hmm. lady to welcome in. So it says something about the grandmother that there's so many children, but you're right. Functionally, they kind of, they kind of go together into one. Or give them all I, a little more time to develop. 
Yeah. Yeah. There's this great subtext uh, line from, from Lady Gwendolyn about how they're needed when Bobby says, well, now that your real granddaughter's here, are you still going to need us? Yeah. And she says, well, who else would I get to slide up and down the great hall? Right. And I love that. And she doesn't say, I mean, she, she says, of course I need you, you know, and I love that. It's, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful piece. And I, I think that that scene with Bobby and the garlic, you know, where yeah. he brings the garlic to ward away the ghosts. And I, I think that scene goes a long way to, for her to overcome, like to, to, to kind of engage or welcome in. He's so cute. He is He's really so cute. super cute. Like, why would you not take this little boy's garlic? I mean, even if you don't believe in ghosts, <laughs> just take it. And uh, yeah. And so, but I think that she does end up doing that. Like he wins her over a little bit, just his, his good nature that he's, he's there thinking of her, thinking that she might run into ghosts and that he needs to, you know, give her the supplies. Um, it's very winning. And I think it does something to kind of move her in her arc towards mm-hmm. being their family. Yeah. Because Casey's used to having followers, right? Yeah. And these kids aren't following her and that's <laughs> new. That's new for her. That's a new, that's a new experience. So, she she did right. have her her like gang of friends, but that felt more like an anarchy when we see them in in not necessarily that she's in charge, but that like it's it's not the same, and they all split off at the end. They're all they're all escaping mm-hmm. and running, and and they don't have to necessarily like all get away. They just have to outrun each other to not get caught by the police. That's how it feels mm-hmm. like to me. Okay. All right, let's talk about themes with this movie a little bit. What do we what do we think? I have one. I that love is thicker than blood. Okay. How about that? Or is it? No, it is. Um, <laughs> it totally I hope so. <laughs> no, I I think that's absolute I think that's absolutely there. Uh for me though, the theme that keeps coming to me is this theme is about deception. And the various different ways in which in which you might deceive, there's a lot of there's a lot of obviously conning other people. There are mm-hmm. the lies that people tell each other for their own advantage. There are the lies that they tell that might hurt other people, and then there are the lies that they tell to protect each other. Uh, but then there's also self deception that's happening throughout these movies. There's a number of characters who mm-hmm. are deceiving themselves. Priory is deceiving himself in himself into thinking this con is working on grandma and that he's at that she has no idea that she's fallen on hard times. Uh, I think Harry has deceived himself into thinking he's this brilliant mastermind bon vivant when he's really a mm-hmm. brutish bully thug animal. Uh, but mostly I think it's about Casey has deceived herself into thinking she's someone who can't care about other people who's that she, she could be a con artist, that she could be a grifter, that she, she doesn't care about other people and she never will. I think that's a self deception. And I, I think this, this movie is, isn't necessarily condemning lying, but it's asking us why we lie. Uh, is that, is, is that too much? I, I, no, I think that's really, I think it's good. Yeah. It echoes through so many of the storylines and characters. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, that that was my feeling on it. And honestly, one of the things that I like, one thing that I hate in movies and hate in TV is the idea that 
lying is bad. Because I'm going to say something, and this is going to be controversial, but you, you guys might not agree with me on this. I understand. Lying is necessary. Uh, lying is something that is important to have for your psychological self-defense. It's part of your armor. And a person who's not capable about lying is super vulnerable all the time. I think there well, is a way. I think you teach a kid that they, there are certain people they can lie to because it's a way of saying no. Sure. And I, I think I think the idea here is when is the lie an armor that's protecting you? And when is a mm-hmm. lie a weight that's dragging you down and dragging everybody else out. Whereas you, you, you know, when I grew up, you would watch a TV show and like, you know, a kid would lie on full house. Like Stephanie would lie for the first time in her life at age eight. And then dad said, dad would say, I'm sorry you destroyed the house. But what I'm really upset about is that you lied to me. And then Stephanie says, I'll never lie again. And dad says, okay. And, and I hate that because my, my babies lied to me when they were babies. Who did that? I don't know. Like, (laughs) this movie has a more complicated relationship with lying than to condemn it. I think Mm -hmm. it shows that it can be intentionality with lying is important. And Mm -hmm. I, I appreciate that. It's a more mature, nuanced look at it. I think you could reframe it for, for those of us who might feel comfortable with saying that lying is good. Sometimes we could reframe it by saying that how honest are we going to be with ourselves and with other people? Like how much of the truth are we going to reveal? So in Casey's situation, how, how honest is she going to be about her own feelings, her honesty, her maybe wish for a family, but, She's never going to say, she's never going to be honest about that. She's lying. She's quote lying because she's, you know, not being, she's not revealing her honest feelings if she, about that. If she was more vulnerable with Harry, Harry would eat her alive. And she knows right. that. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I think, I think that's, I think that's the complicated part. of it. Right. So she can't be honest with him about, you know, everything. And I, and there's different layers of that. And I'm thinking even more. Okay, pitch time. <laughs> so what would we do with the candle shoe material? The only thing I found that's candle shoe adjacent is this, I mean, we don't have any sequels, uh, is this comic strip that I remember from 1977. That's all I remember. Mm. What, what are we going to do with this this material? Who wants to go first? I don't okay. have a good pitch, but just as someone who has written a lot of Christmas movies, I would love to read the the Christmas book. I uh, maybe Andy, we should keep looking for it. Perfect, perfect, yay! Because I would be very interested to see if there is a a Christmas version. I mean, we've already found the treasure, and that's what's fun to me about it. So yeah, um, I would, I would, and now that now that Larry is offended by it, I want to do it even more. An, an <laughs> origin story about Captain Saint Edmund. <laughs> like, how did? Here, because here's what's funny to me: we just completely bought this idea that someone was like a roguish pirate on the seas, and then he settled down in this like country estate in England and started and behaving himself right? in a statue that he made of himself because mm. obviously he was alive when he built that. So, I mean, I would love to know like what tamed him, mm. what brought, what brought him in off the sea and made him like a, 
you know, country squire. Is this the love of a good woman? The true ending <laughs> for Captain Jack Sparrow, and he changed his name. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Speaking of crossovers, my pitch is a crossover. So we've got Casey Brown, and Casey Brown is street smart and and tough, and she lies when she needs to lie. And I think we need to put her up against another Disney character her, who is her equal and opposite force. That is right. I am pitching Candleshoe versus Pollyanna. Um, <laughs> we're going to put these two girls together on a road, on a road tra- trip movie. They've got to get from point A to point B, and they've got to do it together. But Casey lies all the time, and Pollyanna's a goody two-shoes. Can these two mismatched uh, girls get together and finally find their way home? That's my pitch. That's brilliant. (laughs) There's some time travel in there, too. Yeah. Well, you know. (laughs) I just want more family-friendly heist movies. I think, you know, this movie, because of the, the treasure, uh, I, I keep thinking of the Goonies, right? I thought of the Goonies yeah. a lot with this one, too. Yeah. And it's so and it's so weird, you know, to think that there's buried treasure. But I mean, isn't that every fantasy that a kid has is that you have buried treasure in your backyard mm-hmm. or, or what? I mean, certainly I had that fantasy. I just think a good heist movie that's family friendly and kind of bumbly and uh, but where the kid is really the protagonist as part of the heist team is sounds like a good, sounds like a win. I want to explore that a little more. Don't really have a pitch per se, but that's, that's what I want more of. Sounds good to me. Sounds good. Love to see that. All right. Well, thank you so much, Andrea, for being here. We will find Christmas at Candleshoe. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to hunt it down. We'll find it. Great. Thank you. This was such a treat. Thank you. It was fun. Thank you. Larry, what movie are we doing next week? Next week, we are doing Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Now, this I is a movie that, in a million years. that I watched every year in elementary school. Every what? year, they would trot out Darby O'Gill and the Little People when the teacher like had to do too much grading. We would sit and we would watch it. <laughs> I, to, for the rest of my life, I will say... Make a fourth wish, lose them all. I will. I will never. I will never stop saying that. I. Oh, that's so interesting. So it's like embedded in you. And I remember nearly nothing about this movie. So I'll have to. Like I've watched it, but I. It's not memorable. So I'll, I can. I can do the it. scenes for you, uh, and maybe I will. <laughs> oh, let's let's do that. Let's save that for when we turn off the recorder oh sure 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 fair enough (laughs) okay 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 well if you like what you're hearing will you do us a favor and share this podcast with another disney or classic movie fan and please check out our once upon a disney facebook page or drop us a line in our mailbag at once upon a disney podcast at gmail.com so until next time friends see you real soon see you real soon